on June 1st of last year, a Wednesday evening around 9.45, 21-year-old Brian Hernandez broke into the Dallas Museum of Art. After tearing a couple of signs off the wall and throwing a laptop onto the floor, he made his way to the ancient Mediterranean gallery, one level up. And there, after he came back downstairs to get a stool, he proceeded to break several glass display cases and shatter three vases from the 5th and 6th centuries BCE. Hernandez called 911 on himself and waited for the police. And when they arrived to arrest him, the officers said he told them that he had done it all because he was, quote, mad at his girl. This Lent, we're offering you a different image of God each week. And this week, as I read this passage from Exodus 20, that God sounded to me a lot like Brian Hernandez the jealousy, the overreaction, the destruction of statuary. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or on earth or in the water. I, the Lord, your God, I am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation. That sounds like a guy who gets in an argument with his girlfriend and decides to go do $5 million of property damage. It sounds like the God of toxic masculinity. And I almost left those verses out of our reading this morning to make it a lot easier on myself. And based on like the energy in the room, maybe I should have. But they weren't written about the God of toxic masculinity. They were written about the God of Israel, the God of Jesus. They were written about my God. So even though I don't like them, I kept them in. A couple weeks ago, I came across some words about God that I did like. They were by C.S. Lewis from his book, A Grief Observed. He wrote, images of the holy easily become holy images, sacrosanct. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast. God, the image shatterer, the idol smasher. God, the great iconoclast. I love that. Because who doesn't love an iconoclast? Like someone who comes along and changes everything. Someone who can see beyond the present moment, beyond the ways that things have always been done. Someone who's not afraid to to ruffle feathers and, and rock the boat and kill the sacred cow. Look up the word and you get examples like Rosa Parks and Jane Goodall and Galileo and Maya Angelou and Darwin and RuPaul. Of course, God is an iconoclast, the good kind who destroys the oppressive idols our culture worships, capitalism, consumerism, misogyny, homophobia, whiteness. I considered ripping up a picture of white Jesus this morning during the sermon, probably if Rebecca hadn't already masterfully ripped something during a sermon recently, I might have gone for it. It's an idol deserving of being smashed, an image that has replaced the real thing. But I kind of suspect that you agree. 
I kind of suspect that it wouldn't actually ruffle any feathers. It wouldn't rock any boats. Not that there aren't deeper idols of whiteness in me that I need to smash for myself, but white Jesus, that felt easy, simple, painless, nothing like what Exodus 20 describes, that pain, that suffering. Because I don't believe in that image. It isn't holy to me. And and that's the thing about iconoclasts. They're only heroes when they're smashing someone else's image. They are likable when they're destroying something I've already decided is an idol. But when it's my image that they're taking a hammer to, it's painful. Because the thing about idols, of course, is that you don't know that they're idols. You believe that they're real, they're the real thing. And when you finally figure out that they need to go, it doesn't feel like liberation, it feels like loss like a punishment from an angry God, at least at first. At 20, my God was a God of asceticism. I found this book in a used bookstore in New York. It was called Poverty, Chastity, and Obedience, and I bought it like any 21-year-old or 20-year-old would have done. And I read it cover to cover. And The absurdity of an art student reading that book on their way to Greenwich Village was part of what I loved about that. The way it set me apart. My God was a God who set some of us apart. Which meant that I related to the rest of the world primarily through judgment. And it wasn't until that judgment started to pry me away from longtime friends that I realized I had a choice to make smash that God, or lose the people that I loved. At 25, mine was a God of radical commitment. I read Dorothy Day's The Long Loneliness, and I was hooked. I wanted to go live on a Catholic worker farm and meet the kind of people who really structured their lives around the gospel. People who were sharing work and homes and bank accounts, holding all things in common like the people of the early church. And then I got a chance to visit some of those communities. And while their commitment was impressive, it also came with these high walls around the community. It came with exclusive and sometimes homophobic theologies. And I knew I had to smash that God rather than lose the people that I loved years for the I'm 42 now at 28 mine was a god of certainty I was fresh from divinity school and I was on fire for Jesus and then in my final interview with the church that I felt called to the search committee asked me how I would preach to someone who didn't believe in God like a few of the people on that search committee And I stumbled through an answer, and I woke in the middle of that night, panicked about whether I was making the wrong choice. And a few months later, when I found myself a minister in that community where a third of the people didn't identify as Christian, every month when it was my turn to preach, I had more sleepless nights, wondering how God could have called me to a place like this. What was I supposed to do here? until eventually I realized that I had to smash the God that I had made of certainty so that I could minister to these people that I loved. 
Hernandez's destruction in Dallas feels random and chaotic, but consider the story of Rembrandt's painting, The Night Watch. It's been attacked three times, the first on January 13th, 1911. A jobless shoemaker took one of the tools of his trade and slashed at it to protest the massive unemployment in his country. Or take the Rokeby Venus by Velasquez. On March 10th, 1914, the radical suffragette Mary Richardson slashed it with a meat cleaver in response to the arrest of a fellow activist the day before. Or the Mona Lisa, which has been attacked five times at least by people seeking to raise awareness about disability rights or political asylum or climate change. An iconoclast, even like Hernandez, is always saying, there's something more important than this. Stop looking at this image, this creation, this idol, and turn your attention to the real thing. Take a meat cleaver to all of your holy ideas and notice the living, breathing person who is living and breathing just on the other side. I think that's what the God of Exodus 20 is saying. That call on the people to not make graven images, whatever that means, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Before God delivers that commandment, God reminds the people, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, you know me, the real me. You've experienced me. You and I are in relationship. Don't step back. Don't turn away. Don't place something else between us, some image of me, some idea of me that you've created. Smash it. Shatter it. Release it. I don't want anything to stand between us. Just to be clear, I don't believe in that God of toxic masculinity. I don't believe God is a hot-headed 21-year-old bro jealously smashing priceless art. I don't even believe that God is the one who punishes families to the third or fourth generation for unfaithfulness. I do believe God is constantly inviting me into deeper relationship in ways that mean I have to let go of all of my ideas about them. Even the ones I believe are indispensable, priceless. I have to destroy them time after time and draw closer to the real thing. And it doesn't surprise me that to the author of Exodus 20, that, that feels painful. It feels like punishment to lose an idol, at least at first. Elena told me about something she had read from a pastor named Josh Scott, who was writing about what I think is one of the biggest idols in Christianity over the last 500 years, the Bible. He said, the Bible is the diving board and God is the pool. And people have too often confused the two. A diving board is a great way to get into a pool maybe, but it's not the pool. And it would be better to trip and fall with our clothes on and like our cell phones in our pockets than to get all suited up and sunscreened and climb all the way up onto the high dive only to stay there. It would be better to get rid of 
the terrible parts of Exodus 20 to just leave them out than to get confused about who the real God is. Scott could have been writing about any idol, of course, anything we put between us and the one who loves us, every diving board that I'm sure is essential. God invites me to break it and fall on in. Because the point is not to learn about the diving board. The point is not even to learn about the pool. It's not to get a good look at it from up there on that platform at a safe distance. The point is to get wet. The point is to get soaked, to experience the living God up close. The point is we already know them and they know us. We are in relationship with them from the moments of our births. They are the ones who have liberated us in the past. They are the ones who love us still and always. They are the ones calling us. Don't step back. Don't turn away. Your ideas of me aren't divine. Your images aren't sacrosanct. Release them. I am the image shatterer. I am the idol smasher. I am the great iconoclast. I don't want anything to stand between us.